Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome, everybody, to the show. I'm Sean Trotar. Sandy Clough is on my left. The Denver Broncos veterans, as we speak, reporting to training camp out at Dove Valley. The Centura Health Training Center, if you're being specific, but uh, I found that people know what I'm saying when I say Dove Valley, and I know it's in Powerfield a mile high, but if I just say mile high, they know what you're talking about, and if I throw out my handle, SDrotar on Twitter, uh, they'll know what I'm talking about, even though it's apparently just called X now, and everyone's just going to ignore that. So uh, I, I just try to make it very simple. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, Dove Valley, you know where it is, uh, and uh, the, the veterans are reporting today. Practice begins later in the week, but uh, news breaks yesterday that Ioma Uvazarika gets uh, suspended for the year for uh, reportedly gambling on NFL games. Uh, there are, and let me make make it very clear what the rules are for the NFL gambling. It's actually quite simple. Uh, players are allowed to bet. They're not allowed to bet on NFL games, obviously, and they're not allowed to make any bets on NFL uh, property. So that would include, even though I understand the city owns Empire Field of Mahai, you're at a facility in which the NFL is using. So not at the stadium, uh, not at, at the training facility, anything that the Denver Broncos are working at and have a deal with. You can't do any betting from there because, of course, as any of you know, it's geotagged on your phone. They know where you are. And you can't bet on any NFL products reportedly uh, if Azariquez was betting on NFL games. That is number one profoundly dumb but when you're talking about this for the broncos the suspension is for a calendar year the broncos can decide whether to release him or not but this is not a team that's very deep on the defensive line now uh, there were some national folks yesterday saying he was in the position to compete for a starter that's not really true uh he's he's not because one uh matt henningson fellow rookie passed him uh, Henningsen had more tackles played more and snaps. played more snaps and passed him in tackles. Henningsen was more of a part than Uvazarike. And secondarily, um, Zach Allen's playing on one side as the starter. And even though he's listed as a linebacker, the other defensive end is going to be Frank Clark as the starter. So you lose depth there, and that hurts. Uh, I don't think it's a, a huge problem for the Broncos, but it's an annoyance and it's an embarrassment right on the eve of camp for a Broncos team that seems to just suffer indignity after indignity, Sandy. It is all of those things. And part of my point yesterday is that, at least at the beginning, the simple act of naming a new head coach is not going to change a culture of dysfunction that has existed for at least six years now. I think one of the traps that I try not to fall into, but I fear many of our media brethren do, especially with respect to the Broncos, and I think it happened a little bit yesterday on our program. Unproven players are viewed as fixtures. Fixtures are viewed as stars. Stars are viewed as superstars, game-changing players. The Broncos have no superstar on the roster currently. They have a couple of stars. They have a few fixtures, good players, serviceable players, most of whom start. 
And not every team has stars at every starting position. So that's, of course that, not. That, it's but always the Broncos, a, a mix as I and match. said yesterday on our program, have one star in three years of drafting. His name is Patrick Sutan. Javante Williams is not yet a star. I believe he would have been during his rookie year had the person acting as the head coach who also viewed Patrick Sertan as his fourth best cornerback going into the season chosen to play Javante Williams more, a lot more, than he played Melvin Gordon Jr. And that would be a big fan, Gio, of course. But those decisions were not made. Therefore, Javante Williams didn't play enough to gain 1,000 yards his rookie year, and he was injured last year, which, of course, took him out of most of the season, right. apart from the first month or so. Yeah, Javante Williams' first year with the uh, only one start of the year, but still rushed for 903 yards, four touchdowns, caught for another 316 and three touchdowns, so... Uh, over 1,100 yards in total as a guy that that was not your starter. And, of course, only four games last year, 47 carries, uh, and and the injury that, of course, took him out until apparently now, which uh, he was cleared to go in some capacity, certainly not put on the the pup list or or any of the injury list. So uh, hopefully for the Broncos, he can pick up where he left off. Javante Williams, I believe, has a chance to be a star here. Uh, Superstar? Well, apparently, from what I'm reading and hearing, there isn't any such thing anymore as a a superstar in the National Football League at the running back position. There is none. Last year's rushing champion, who may or may not have, by virtue of that fact, achieved superstar status. He is still not signed Mm -hmm. with the Las Vegas Raiders. One of the other unsigned players reportedly has come to terms on a deal that is scarcely worth any more than his franchise tag would have been worth. Had he signed Mm -hmm. that's Saquon Barkley, about whom we will talk more later in the program. Saquon Barkley is a game changer. I view him as a superstar. Josh Jacobs is on the way. He is very close. He had a great year last year. I hope he has a chance to have another one this year. That would be nice because the running back position is perhaps, with the exception of quarterback, the most romantic position in football. And personally, although I think throwing wins games and running the ball helps your defense kill the clock when you have a lead, I still grew up in an era where the running back was the most romantic player in the game. The great running back, Jim Brown, to me, was a greater player than Johnny Unitas was. If you consider Brown to have been the best running back, and by acclamation, I think that was certainly the case during his nine-year playing career, he didn't have off years. Unitas did have off years. Uh, quite a few of them, as a matter of fact, in the 1960s and 1970s, but was generally considered to be, of his time, best quarterback in the business. 
you would be insane to suggest that any running back today has the impact that Patrick Mahomes has. So the game game has changed. But to, to my point, very quickly, Quinn Miners is not a star. Is he a fixture? I think after last year, he is. When he's healthy, mm-hmm. he's going to play. Yeah. He is not being challenged for a starting position. So he is more unproven. But again, the position he plays, I mean, Quentin Nelson was the best guard in football until he wasn't all of a sudden. The Indianapolis offensive line was great until it was terrible last year. And Quentin Nelson was one of the reasons it was terrible last year. So Quentin Nelson, to me, is a star. He, I assume, will play better and probably will be wearing a gold jacket someday. But is he a superstar? I don't think any guard is any more than any running back is a superstar with a possible exception of Barkley. So that's the first draft from George Payton. Baron Browning is right now on physically unable to perform. Mm-hmm. He had five sacks last year. After making a position change. Right. Promising, maybe even a fixture. Not yet a star. No. Not yet no. with five I'm not even sacks. sure yet a fixture, necessarily, as, as okay. a guy that doesn't. I mean, okay. I'm very high I'm, on Baron I'm Browning. I'm willing to concede that he's closer to a fixture yeah. than he is to being completely That's how unproven. I put it. He looks That's like fair. a football player to me. I agree. If he can play so right inside linebacker, which he did his rookie mm-hmm. year, and outside linebacker, which he did last year, that's good enough for me to make him okay. a fixture or at least something very close good enough for me. to that. Sure. Okay. Caden Stearns is unproven. He's had five starts in his NFL career. Right. He is currently listed on the depth chart and most likely to start the season as a backup to 35-year-old Kareem Jackson, who appeared as if he were over the hill last year in terms of his actual production. The rest of that draft produced nothing other than Jonathan Cooper, who's made 14 starts and has had four and a half sacks in his career. Somewhere again between unproven and a fixture. But good for a seventh-round selection. Okay, but they had 10 draft picks right. last uh, yeah. in, in 2021. And this year. They had 10. Yeah. This year, they had five. five. So it, they had nine in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, even you and uh, uh, Eric yesterday suggested that Nick Benito is anything but a fixture. No. Totally unproven. Totally unproven. Greg Dulcich has had six starts in his career. Uh, a rookie last year was injured. But, again, I, I don't hold that against him, but I'm not going to increase I see the ability to be a fixture for Greg Dulcich. For someone for sure. who had, had not even 500 yards but in not there. Not there last yet. year. No. So he, he's not a star. No. And he had six starts in 17 games. He's not a fixture. Not yet. Uh, Damari Mathis, same thing. 11 starts, uh, didn't pick off a pass. I thought he was excellent during the second half of the year. I am willing to concede that though there may be token competition from Riley Moss, that Damari Mathis in all likelihood, and I say it's 90% likely, it is not fully guaranteed because nothing is. He didn't play a full year last year. But I would be very, very surprised if Damari Mathis were, were not the starter opposite 
Patrick Sutan on opening. Day. I, I, I think right. your your slot corner and Kwan Williams, Sutan and Mathis so, are essentially so unchallenged. I, I, I think all three. He's he's more or less a fixture, but he's certainly not a star. You know who comes right after him on the draft list in twenty twenty two? The aforementioned Ioma Iwazerki. Mm-hmm. And Wazirike, I'm sorry, uh, Wazirike. And he, on the basis of last year, is unproven. Uh, Turner Yell is unproven. Showed some flashes. Montreal Washington is not around anymore. Luke Wattenberg's completely unproven. Uh, Matt Henningsen played in 17 games last year and started none of them. He is unproven. He is not a fixture. He may start, but what happened to DJ Jones and Frank Clark and Zach Allen? Aren't they going to be the three starters along the defensive front? Yeah. Matt Henningsen may be the fourth defensive lineman, but he's not any better than that. Unproven. And uh, this year, obviously, by definition, unproven are the rookies, Mims, Sanders, Moss, Skinner, and Forsyth. So, I, I, I'm saying the mistake that I think some of us make is taking unproven players and projecting them as fixtures. Any day now, this guy will be a starter. Any day, any day, any day. A fixture will be a star. Any day now, any day, any day, any day. The Broncos themselves have done these projections, and it's why the fans are so turned off to them now, because the Broncos have been bluffing with... Uh, something resembling horse manure for at least the last six years and probably longer than that. I, I Maybe we're splitting hairs. And I do want to clarify, Montreal Washington is on the training camp roster, but your point of you know the idea, if he was going to be splashy and be the kick returner and everything else, you haven't heard a word about him. Uh, th- those are the kind of guys that, you know, you, Does a, anybody a coach, project a, no Montreau Washington making is making the team? No. Nobody no. I've seen. So he's off the team. And, and maybe maybe we're splitting hairs a bit. I do get your point, though. I, I think you look at like a player like a Greg Dulcich, who I think is a perfect example for that. I think when you watch a guy play, you can say he definitely has the ability to be an NFL starter. At what level? As the start, you know, be a pro bowler every year. I don't, but he has the ability to be an NFL starter. I think Dulcich has that. I don't think Dulcich has earned the spot where you say he's a lock because I think you have to fairly look at a guy and say, on another team right now, on better teams, on teams that are projected to have winning records or be playoff teams, would that player start? If they're not, the fact that they're a fixture on your team might mean that your team's just not that good. <laughs> and, and I think you have to, to look at it that way, too. But it, it is fascinating. We started some but about, it wasn't Albert Oh yeah. Oh, supposed oh. to be by now, if not a star, then a fixture. Maybe if he had run more than two routes. He may not make the team. I think there's a distinct he chance. May not he, I think he, he's on. He's definitely because a he guy. doesn't block. Definitely a doesn't guy. seem especially willing to do it. And the nicest thing that Sean Payton has said about Okwebenam is that he has been attentive during the offseason. Better than not. That is uh, sparse praise indeed. But the running back position is interesting because Javante Williams, who could be a star, I mean. It's easy to forget in, a, in an offensive era in which the passing numbers go through the roof. Josh Jacobs, who just turned 25, was 24 last year. Josh Jacobs ran for 1,653 yards and 12 touchdowns. For reference, that's the 45th 
most in a season all time. And it's sandwiched between Eric Dickerson in 1988 and Tony Dorsett in 1981, who were 28 and 27 respectively when they did that. Jacobs didn't have like a nice season. He had a great season. I mean, when you're in the, you know, your 45th best season in the history of the league, and I know we, we worry only about top 10s, but there's been some great players, and we're talking about multiple guys being at the top. Dickerson, of course, uh, just ranks number 44, but Dickerson's number one with the 2105 he put up in 1984. The idea that running backs have become kind of fungible are really fascinating. Jacobs reportedly left, uh, left Vegas, isn't even in Vegas, more than a little upset about this, and... You got no less of support than from his teammate, Devontae Adams, who, quote, said that he knows what it's like to go back and forth about whether or not you feel appreciated. And, and that's the nature of this running back situation. Adams went on to say, by the way, if we really want to have a shot at winning and having the elite aspirations that we do, we're going to need that guy. <laughs> but it, it seems as if you're right. Teams just don't seem to, to value it. We'll talk more about Saquon Barkley and his deal later, but I guess the counter-argument is the 1,800-yard season that Jonathan Taylor put up the year before for the Colts to lead the league. Got dinged up. The line wasn't as good. Finished with 854 the very next year. And I think the leagues look at that and they've become a little more risk-averse. They're looking more at, at floors than they are ceilings with running backs because the passing game reigns supreme. But for the Broncos, they're going to need both if they're going to get wins. By the way, if you have been injured, you need a win too. And that means you need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. The phone number is 720-845-7001. You need to hire the winner. Well, that's all they do over at Burnham Law. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. And when you're injured, they push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's by settlement or by trial. The point is to get you right, not to get them more. Locations all over the front range, Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, even up in Cheyenne and right here in the DTC where we are at My Life Sports. So when you're hurt and you need a winner, don't hire someone off the billboard. Hire someone who will fight for you and gets the W's. That's our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. We will stick with football, but we're going to go a little bit northwest up to Boulder where our own Anilo Piero had an opportunity to speak to Shadur Sanders at his youth camp. Uh, he'll break down a little bit of what he said and tease a little bit of what's upcoming in My Life Sports Next Magazine. We'll do that next. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Feels like I should have my uh, WWE voice in there. Wait a minute. Is that Anilo Piro's music? Anilo Piro joins this media by AP on Twitter. I'm not calling it what, whatever anyone else calling X? it. No, I'm not doing it. It's not going to last. You're not Xing? No, I don't care. Why does it sound like uh, an adult Xing? website? It's it not does. a good. It's not it a, not a not the best move. But, but as whatever. I was explaining to Cody, uh, you probably know this a little bit. This whole X phenomena for Elon dates. It's back, not new. Yeah, you wanted to change PayPal years. to that name. Yeah, so it's right. just a continuation just of the process. Was, yeah, I remember. His, I remember his child as kind of an interesting name as well. So uh, 
audacity with X and some dashes and numbers and He's things hoot, like that. Yeah, interesting, interesting choice. But anyway, Media by AP is where you find him on, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call the app. But, uh, Anil, you had an opportunity to talk to Shadur Sanders over yes. at his youth camp. Now, of course, interesting already, uh, there's something funny about looking at a guy that's, you know, Shadur Sanders has a youth camp already. I'm like, he is a youth How's he, how's he yeah. get in youth camp? But uh, obviously an opportunity to to get out into the community, to make, make a footprint there. And and we talk about Dion Sanders the whole time because Dion's tends to kind of blot out the sun, but Dion's not out on the field. Shadur is out there on the field. Right. And he is out there to make his own legacy. So out at the camp, when you had a chance to, to touch base with him, I imagine that some of the interesting things to talk about is the adjustment of uh, what it's like to come to Colorado, the Pac-12 the Pac from, uh, you know, the from Jackson State. Yeah. So many changes. You know, what struck you at first? You know, and I, I remember talking with you before I went and conducted the interview, and I essentially said, I, I don't want to ask him any of the same questions that he's probably been asked a million times, you know, since right. he's come to Colorado. So, you know, I tried to keep it a little bit more about Shador the man, Shador the person, and try to learn about who he is, uh, you know, on the field, off the field. And the, the first thing that kind of stands out to me, he is just like his father, man. I mean, I, w- I was never around Dion. I didn't cover Dion, but I called my dad after I interviewed Shador, and he was just going back and forth. And he toes that line of, of cockiness and confidence, right? And, and just a spitting image of him. I mean, he looks like him, acts like him, carries himself like him. Uh, but the acclimation process, you know, I think is going pretty well. But the one thing that I would highlight, this is business for these guys. I mean, as you would naturally expect, but there's not this whole... I'm making Colorado my home narrative. Colorado is my new home type of, of dynamic. It is very much, we're here to play football. We're going to represent the University of Colorado at Boulder well, and we're going to do it in Coach Prime style. And Shador is obviously going to be steering that ship at the quarterback position along with Travis Hunter and others. But, uh, you know, a very well-rounded, smart player, you know, that I was able to chat with yesterday. He's got a good head on his shoulders. It is impossible to talk about Colorado football in general, and perhaps even father and son in particular, without provoking extreme opinions. Mm -hmm. And you touched on something just a second ago when you talked about how it's completely business, not much sentiment, not talk about the beautiful flat irons, right. the scenery on campus, even the presence in classrooms because these guys haven't been, really basically any of them, inside a classroom at the University of Colorado. That leads some to suggest, again, on the negative end of the spectrum, that this is a team essentially of mercenaries. And I guess my question to you is whether Shadir Sanders is one of those mercenaries. You know, to an extent, I mean, but here's the thing. I think that's just the direction of college football in general. You know, the NIL factor has just completely opened up the floodgates in regards to how teams can be constructed. You know, Dion and Shador, I think, are doing it their own way. Uh, obviously, the Jackson State, you know, to jump into the Power Five is, is a different dynamic than, say, I always look at a school like Auburn, right, who had the opportunity to maybe hire a Dion Sanders, you know, Certainly. down south in the SEC, Certainly. end up going in a different direction. Uh, he was uh, too black and wanted too much control. Yeah. You know, it, he, he does not fit the mold of SEC football. And, the, you know, I've even been talking about it, you know, with guys around the studio, with the studio. I, I think a lot of these schools, like the fact the Pac-12 media vote came out last week and they 
They had, I believe, CU 11th of 12 mm-hmm. teams. Right. The fact that they're behind ASU and behind some of these other programs that have been building for a while, like you look at the talent, right? I think college football, to an extent, is afraid of Deion Sanders having success. Because if Deion Sanders has success in year one with this team and essentially taking a program that's been in the middle of the Pac-12, the bottom of the Pac-12 for a minute here, and flips this program upside down in, 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 in six, seven months' time, that's going to start to change the dynamic of college football as a whole, which, as we know, has been very rooted in tradition, and head coaches have been places for a long time, and you do things a certain way. Deion Sanders is a wild card, and if Deion Sanders succeeds, it'll change the dynamic of college football. Well, and he's talked about himself as a change agent, and I think it's kind of interesting to take a peek at it and think about uh, I don't think the success will be immediate, but I think it could be within two years. Yep. And I think when you look at other, and there's that thought, I I actually think, I'm, I'm in another the, one of the thoughts. I'm, I'm sort of in the minority. The it does, but I'm charge. sort of in the minority that, that thinks that there's a, a little more substance here than than a stepping stone. Because I think if Deion Sanders has success here, uh, this is an opportunity to kind of do well what Deion Sanders like to do: stick it in the face of everyone else. To you, thought, you thought I couldn't do it? I took over the worst Power Five conference uh, team in the entire country. I turned them around, and now we'll say in two years we're a top twenty-five. And now you want to hire me? Mm-hmm. Nah, I think we'll just keep beating you where I'm at. And I think that's Fair. very much Dion's personality. But the, the the part of it that's intriguing, I think, when you look at the fear, and I think you're exactly right, Anilo, is the idea that if this success comes in a short term, and in a way that nobody's really turned this over in all the transfer portals, now you run the risk because coaches like popping in and saying, well, I need four years, I need my whole classes, I need my guys, and that's been the traditions you talk about. Well, if Deion Sanders turns around an abysmal Colorado team in short order, guess what? You're... Honeymoon period shortens. And the problem is, if you're most coaches, you're like, well, I'm not Deion Sanders. I don't have the cult of personality. I can't all of a sudden be the coach of a terrible program and find myself sitting at the desk at the national championship game, breaking it down in for Wigalia, or literally recruiting players at the NFL Honors Dinner. So how am I going to compete with Deion Sanders? There are are guys that are invested against Deion Sanders because they're realizing Mm -hmm. if if they're asked to compete on the same level, they don't have the same tools in the toolbox, and that's a concern. But it's not a concern for Dion, who is not bothered about what anyone else is going to think. And, and I think it's also worth noting, like, this isn't like the injection of the mobile quarterback in the NFL, where it's like, okay, like, there's a certain type of player that you target. You're not going to find another Dion Sanders. Like, it's not like Emmett Smith or insert former great NFL player here can just become what Dion right. Sanders has become. And if you do, it looks a little bit more like a Travis Hunter. Right. And so it, it, it's <laughs> one of those get. where, you know, I'm so curious because I even put it out on Twitter this morning. Like, I think of all the teams locally here in Colorado, CU has the highest ceiling in regards to national attention. You you see the numbers. Oh, there's no doubt about You know, that. With, the, with the ESPN conversation. Far more than the Broncos this year. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, they're that's... the sixth most bet on team to win a national championship. It's crazy to me. You know, 8% of I mean, the they're, bets. They're not doing that. <laughs> in that right. area are based on the extremely unlikely notion that CU can be a national champion uh, this year. I think those people are crazy, but that right. that describes the wide gulf that exists between those who believe and those who don't. And, and there's no gray area in between. None. They're a public team. 
you know, they're not, they should not be talked about like these SEC programs. You know, even USC or Utah, some of these really good teams in the Pac-12, but they have that polarizing dynamic. Now, the question is, you can almost compare it to the Broncos of last season before the year started. Russell Wilson, new ownership group comes in, right? A lot of hype and anticipation only to fall flat on your face within 30 seconds of the season starting. So how does CU avoid that? And you can't, it's not apples to apples, right? But, you know, we've talked about it from a content perspective, like what happens if they're bad? Right? Because all this hype just goes out the window. What happens if Dion is the coaching version of Russell Wilson? Exactly. Which uh, one of our more esteemed broadcast colleagues is said to have remarked. Yeah. Yeah. At at the day he was announced as the hire. I think it's a real risk. And the only, the difference, or the the reason that I'm optimistic, and look, I'll come out and say I I like college football. I, I don't know nearly as much about the college sport as I do the NFL. But the one thing I do know about college is talent wins and CU has a plethora of talent and Dion as you and I have talked about Drotar privately he's head coach sure from a title he's really head CEO he's the CEO of the football team and And his staff his staff around him is going to be the ones that make Mm -hmm. this ship go absolutely and so that's where I look at the staff and I look at who he's brought on offense defense and you've you've got everything you'd like to see on paper although we were saying the same thing about the Broncos last year the the thing that's advantageous though to note is that for there is a risk of that Uh, this could blow up and not be good but if you're colorado this was a risk you needed to take because how much further can you fall the, correct, the, correct. the, the, the ceiling that this was the time if, if colorado was ever going to take that kind of all or nothing big swing this was the time to do it and even if Deion sanders falls on his face mm-hmm. his entire contract was 40 million dollars he's gotten the university itself well more than 40 million dollars of, of of at least publicity that they could have never had before i don't think cu can go wrong here it's sanders that's at stake not the buffs and i think you'll have to wait for the magazine to come out to see it but one of the questions that i asked shador yesterday is did you feel like it was the the perfect time in the sense of a middling program who has got some decent history in the bottom of the barrel the worst they've been in a long time and your family your father looking to take that next leap because here's the thing there's a reason why auburn passed there's a reason what was it illinois i believe or I forget, there was another school somewhere in the Midwest that had a big opening. Um, There's a reason that a lot of these schools ended up going in a different direction. I believe CU, we'll see how it shakes out, it was the right place, right time. What does CU have to lose? And you just talked about it, the ROI is there. They've had two games at home sold out already. I mean, this is easily, you could take, I've I've been in Colorado since 2012. This anticipation of the 2023 season has more juice to it than every other season combined since I've moved here. So I'm excited to see how the fireworks play out. Hopefully it's not a bunch of duds. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 isn't going to be easy, a lot of talent, but there's some magic about Coach Prime. And it's the difference when you're a coach versus a player. We learned a lot about Russell Wilson and Hackett and that lethal cocktail. We'll see what uh, Coach Prime and company Let's see uh, if we can get back to Shadir for yep. a second. And um, I, I, I'm sure this came out during the conversation. There's pressure on him because there are three players who have to be not only stars, but excellent game changers, program changers this year for Colorado to win six games and qualify for a bowl. Those three would be the quarterback, right? Travis Hunter and McLean, the five-star cornerback in the class of 23. Correct. They're the three guys. How much pressure does he feel, in your estimation, having talked to him, I know he's confident individually, but how much pressure does he feel about being one of three guys who will have to carry 
this team and, at least for this year, this program. Look, They're the three, as much as you can be proven on this level, none of the three have played on this level before, they're the three established stars, if not superstars. If he has pressure on his mind, he's got a great poker face because you'd never guess. You know, obviously, I didn't, I didn't talk to him at JSU. I didn't know him as a kid or anything along those lines. But he, he's just like his father. You know, I mean, every time, like I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, so it's like I grew up, you know, watching the highlights and seeing the interviews and talking to my dad about it and then seeing him on NFL Network. I mean, the energy is is very, very similar. And we'll see what happens. Maybe that pressure or that doubt starts to seep in the mind if they lose a couple of games, which is the expectation, right? But from a confidence in himself, his ability to be him and do it well and effectively, he's rock solid. Yeah. He's rock solid. His yeah. demeanor is what you'd but, want. But he's running an offense here that I understand is yeah. familiar to him, the RPO offense, but he hasn't run it against FBS programs. Now people say the Pac-12 doesn't play any defense. Maybe that'll work in his favor. But he is also in a sense in competition with Williams, Knicks, and several other established yep. Stars, you can say what you want about the Pac-12, but it has more good to great quarterbacks on the college level than any other conference in the country. Yeah, no, and I I think it's a valid point. Including the Heisman Trophy winner. Absolutely right. And I I just think maybe it's a product of the upbringing, whatever it might be. Like, there is a little bit of a don't-give-a-darn attitude about Mm -hmm. anybody else. And and I think that's, you know, we'll see how it kind of shakes out if it works or if it doesn't work, but... There's a, I know who I am, I'm going to go out there and do me, and we're going to be just fine because of it. It'll that, be that's the vibe I get. That's a, that's, a, that's a bit of a risk in one part, because I think going up there and for the, for the black and gold game and, and watching that is the one drawback that I think uh, in, in Sanders' game that's, you, that you could be fixing for a guy at his age is similar to Russell Wilson's. Trying to make the big play, holds on to the ball right. too long and takes more shots than he needs to take. That's where I think the Sandy's point, the concern is, because just if you took the average player that's facing against Jackson State, and the average play in the Pac-12, whether they play defense or not, they're bigger and they're faster. Right, absolutely. And, and so the adjustment, if you hold on too long, it only takes one hit to completely derail the season. So watching him try to adjust, and it's great to be, I'm going to do things my way, but it's kind of funny that that, that was looking at as a bit of a plus at, at the University right. of Colorado right now, and potentially a negative for the Denver Broncos, with it, the exact same problem. That's a great point. <laughs> and, and I think what it comes down to for Shador and company and again, I, I talked to him for a handful of minutes. I don't have the full story a on this. Twenty-year-old kid. kid is more right. malleable and more likely to change. He's used to winning. Think about that. He's been raised by a father and a family where winning is paramount. Your brand is paramount. Like, like he's not used to. You know, it's a different. It's a different ball game. You know, it's just like you know any of these big prodigies that come from Texas. You know, and then it's a harsh or it's a rude awakening sometimes on the big stage, whatever it might be. But Shador Sanders' confidence, I think, and, and the rest of the program obviously comes from Coach Prime. But for Shador specifically, I think comes from. History, you know, and history is the best teacher. If you get knocked upside the head, that's going to teach you something. You know, if you throw a handful of interceptions at the Pac-12 level, it's going to teach you something. I think Shador's energy right now is based off his experiences to this point. I think he's conscious of everything that's coming or what he's going to have to go up against. But I think he's banking on himself. He believes in himself to be the guy he's always been. He is Anil Apiro. Make sure you give him a follow on uh, Twitter at Media by AP. And, of course, uh, make sure you check out the latest uh, High Sports Magazine. Uh, when it comes out in a couple weeks, that interview will be in there with a whole bunch of other football-related uh, 
things happening. Uh, I won't tease too much about it, but of be course, good. the other uh, ones currently right now, by the way, the golf issue with uh, Bruce Brown, the now Indiana mm-hmm. Pacer, but a great story in there uh, as well. So make sure you check it out wherever you grab your magazines. And this one coming soon with uh, all sorts, Broncos, Buffs, you name it, the football issue coming soon. Anilo behind the interview with Shadur. Looking forward to it. Thanks for spending some time and, and uh, sharing it with us a little bit. Absolute pleasure, gentlemen. You guys do a great show. All right. Thanks so much. Anilo Piero joining us. Uh, over in the NBA, some things are happening, including, of course, a very scary moment. It's not the NBA and the collegiate ranks with LeBron James' son suffers cardiac arrest, now in stable condition. Uh, what does that mean going forward, not only for him, but for LeBron, for the NBA? And uh, Jason Tatum, your new highest paid player in the NBA. That's right. You heard it, you heard it correctly. Uh, pardon me. Jalen Brown is the, uh, the next highest paid. That, that makes a stranger. Jason Tatum's a little bit better. Jalen Brown gets the new deal. We'll talk about some of those things next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Scary scene at the Galen Center on the USC uh, campus over on Monday where uh, Bronny James, LeBron James' son on a workout, uh, collapsed under cardiac arrest, was treated on site, and then rushed to a nearby hospital. He is since out of the uh, intensive care unit, is in stable condition, but the... Concern there, obviously, when you're talking about, uh, you know, that, that, that younger kid, you have cardiac arrest, and he is expected, expecting at least, to be a one-and-done player, to, to play this season for Southern Cal, and then come out in next spring's draft, in which LeBron James has maneuvered his contracts and to make sure that he can sort of, if he can't finagle his way to get Bronny James to the Lakers, that LeBron and move over to wherever team Bronny's at. And that's been the plan now for years. How that gets derailed is is going to be interesting because the expectation at the moment is it appears, at least the reports are that, yes, he will need some time to recover, but will make a full recovery. Yes. That it is not likely to be the end of his career. Obviously, we saw a, an equally frightening incident with DeMar Hamlin uh, last fall. DeMar right. Hamlin yesterday completely medically cleared to play for the Bills. As was suggested that he would be during the offseason. Yes. And, uh, yeah, yesterday, flat out, Brandon Bean, the GM of the Bills, said uh, of Hamlin, quote, he is fully cleared no to resume activity. And uh, you, you don't want to take it lightly by any stretch of the imagination, but, wow, the just the the, uh, the amazing work from medical teams that that – happen here is just remarkable. You know, we used to think about a, an ACL as a career-ending injury, an Achilles tear as a career-ending injury, in almost whatever sport you have. Now these are uh, inconveniences. Uh, the wrong ligament tear, the UCL ligament tear in your elbow as a baseball player, you're done. No, now it's Tommy John. You're actually going to come back and throw faster than you did before. Um, th- this is remarkable stuff because at, at a time in the not-too-distant past, uh, we wouldn't be talking about Bronny James potential future at Southern Cal or the NBA, we'd be talking about uh, a tragedy. And the it's it's fortunate that you have people that are so well-trained and so reactive and understand and ready for these potentialities. Well, and you also have regular tests being done now on young athletes. 
which it's specifically sure on their heart always the case. And it was reported almost immediately that not more than two weeks ago, LeBron James, Bronny was examined thoroughly and there was nothing whatsoever that showed up that suggested that he had any heart problems, irregularities, nothing like that. If anything had shown up, he wouldn't have been on the court today. Nothing showed up. And I suspect that Hamlin's situation was quite similar. Now, we know a little more about Hamlin's situation because there was contact involved. And he apparently was hit at exactly the wrong moment in sequence between heartbeats in a way that led to the scariest situation I've ever seen on the football field. And I have seen people uh, incapacitated and even killed, uh, not in person, thankfully, but certainly we saw it with a a Detroit receiver in the early 1970s. He literally died on the field uh, after taking a shot. And again, medical technology in 1971, let's say, was not uh, nearly as advanced as technology is in 2023. So both Hamlin and James have to be considered very fortunate. But the good news is that neither had even a hint of a pre-existing heart condition that had to be watched and monitored constantly, tested for regularly, even people who are perfectly healthy, young athletes, especially if there is any history, any history of heart disease, heart irregularities, heart attacks in your family, no matter how many generations back it may go. And you, your youngster should be tested regularly. Yes. Not once a year, regularly. Two, I mean, you always, you, you go back and you think obviously that the, the Hamlin incident, but you, you think of uh, Reggie Lewis who died of a, a heart attack at the age of 27, the great Celtics player. Off season. In the offseason, you uh, think workout. of Hank Gathers, of course, at Loyola Marymount, yeah. only 20 years old back That's in 1990. Right. But the That's difference right. is, in Lewis's case, uh, he had focal cardiomyopathy. And um, today, now, and, and to be honest, that was diagnosed. It ended the, the of basically was going to be career-ending for Lewis at, at some point, and, and he had passed away. And, and in the case of Hank Gathers, uh, he had a different kind of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, yes. which meant you had uh, one heart muscle that was diseased and had scarring. Yeah. Had he been evaluated today at like the level of a Bronny James, Hank Gathers may have never been allowed to play basketball, and the situation oh, almost may have certainly, changed. almost certainly, he he would still quite probably be alive today, and he would never have played uh, basketball even for as long as he did at Loyola. So now, at least, there is the the awareness and the ability to evaluate uh, these these situations, and that's obviously a, a very 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 good thing but you know for i uh, it's 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 in, in the end this is a story that's good news because ronnie james is apparently going to be uh, first and foremost alive and live a normal life and basketball will come later but even the expectation is he'll be able to resume his basketball career and and perhaps even still be one and done and be in the draft 
uh, next summer. Who knows? But uh, I, I'm intrigued at a certain point because if you're LeBron James, and he'll do what he'll do, but he, he sort of danced around the idea considering retirement after losing the Nuggets. I believe that was a little more, wait a minute, I was expecting a little more of my laurels and I didn't get them, so I'm going to get, grab some attention and then kind of went back to Well, the I also think it was a shot across the bow at Laker management that, yeah. yes, we uh, all appreciate what you did at the deadline, but Plus I am not surrounded better. by sufficient talent. But if you're LeBron James and this is this is your your son, you have nothing left to accomplish in your legacy except to kind of add more numbers on. You have more money than you know what to do with. If if I and I'm not suggesting either or. Uh, obviously, LeBron James is very concerned about his son. He's been. Uh, I'm not making any suggestions about that. But I'm saying that me, I'd be tempted if I'm LeBron James. Like, ah, maybe I'll see you guys at the All Star break. I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pay attention I, to I, this. I don't know about that, but I think maybe the plan, carefully developed over the years. May change now. <laughs> LeBron may decide may maybe I have two years left. Maybe I well, maybe I don't anymore. It, it, maybe we just can't I mean, pull I this think off. LeBron is thinking of his son more than he's thinking of his own longevity, and so the plan may have to be altered. And I'm like, you know, listen, um, LeBron James doesn't have to continue to play basketball. He is certainly physical, uh, physically capable of playing. Uh, he's talked about here and there playing into his mid. 40s, uh, kind of the same way Tom Brady did. Uh, he, he would seem very much capable of that, but I, again, the, uh, this particular incident probably raises some concerns about how you know the best laid plans often have to be changed. Fate intervenes, and maybe Bronny James is on a different schedule now. Right. And he was imagined to have been on just 24 hours ago. And obviously health will, will have a lot to do with that. But it is, it is you know, it's a scary moment. It's good that everything looks like it's going to be okay. Just remarkable when you have these moments that you think about, like a hate gathers and a rigid those. What, what, a, what a time, because uh, this could have gone so poorly. And uh, this is not the, uh, the first time that, as you pointed out, that Bronny James has ever had his heart looked at. Uh, they took the precautions. Two weeks ago, and uh, so apparently from and, the reports and, 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 I yeah, heard, didn't find two uh, weeks ago he was yeah, and didn't find issues like Gathers right. had found or like nothing. Reggie Lewis nothing. had. Found and as a result, you, you have to feel better about it. It's uh, so you know good good news there that that all is at least uh, as good as it can be. It is never good news when when you're someone out of high school and you suffer cardiac arrest. But uh, when you're talking about the possible outcomes, that's certainly uh, about as good as as you can hope for. The Denver Broncos have their veterans uh, reporting today. Practice will start later this week. There are some uh, in, intriguing storylines about this, but also as we get to the to the beginning of the year, it's easy to look back and see where the Broncos' greatness was. Yesterday over at the Denver Gazette, friend Chris Thomason wrote a very fascinating story about Lionel Taylor, now 87 years old, uh, same number as, old as their jersey used to be, not being able to come see uh, his Ring of, of Fame statue he hasn't been able to go see that yet, and uh, as, as health is fading and eyesight is fading, uh, we had Chris, we're going to have Chris on to talk about that a little bit, and then look about um, the next Broncos Ring of Fame candidates, next Broncos Hall of Fame candidates. And we know that Randy Gratishar and Mike Shanahan both on the sixty, uh, they call it sort of semifinalists. You have sixty semifinalists; it's a lot of finalists, but in the sixty final people to be considered 
for the Hall of Fame next year and who on the Broncos potentially might be able to do it. We'll talk all about that with Chris Thomas of the Denver Gazette next on My Life Sports. Hard to breathe. 